people in the world, right? So the first kind of people uh, in the world are those who have already doubted, that, you know, the people of faith who have had doubts. The second type are those who haven't doubted yet. And the third type of people are those who are brain dead. So um, the reason he said that is because if you seriously contemplate your faith in Jesus, if you take serious what it means to follow him, if you're reading the Bible and you're thinking through it, it's almost inevitable that sooner or later, you're going to have some issues with what you've read. You're going to have some questions about some of the things that you're hearing and seeing. You're going to have some doubts over one thing or another. Or as Adam said last week, when we started this series, doubt happens, right? I'm assuming we've all had that happen in our life. And it's not just a a Christian experience. That's a human experience. Lee Strobel again said, I know a lot of atheists who doubt their position from time to time, which is good to hear. But I wonder if most of us haven't struggled at one time or another with some questions. I mean, what if this isn't true? Have you ever wondered that? What if, the, what if what we're talking about isn't even true? What if when you die, that's it? You just, you just die. Or if there's a God, it, why is there so much suffering in the world? If he can do something about it, if he's so loving and so great and all powerful, then why doesn't he do something about it? Or if God created the world, why do so many smart people believe in evolution? right? Uh, versus creation. If there is a God, why doesn't he just reveal him? I mean, he would just reveal himself, right? Have you ever thought this? If he'd just reveal himself, everybody would believe in him. Why doesn't he do that? You ever wonder those kind of things, right? The Bible says this, if you've ever doubted this, Jude, be merciful to those who doubt. We believe some pretty incredible things. I mean, there's some pretty crazy stories in the Bible. Be patient with people who struggle with that. Stephen Brown said this, it should be on your handout if you haven't pulled that out yet, if you would, uh, at the top. Stephen Brown uh, said, if you don't have a question about your faith, you probably don't have much of a faith, right? I mean, we may not like to admit it, but we all have questions and doubts about our faith from time to time. So we wanted to take, when we're thinking through this year, we wanted to take the month of March before we get to Easter Sunday, right? Because Easter Sunday, we're talking about a man who raised from the dead, We're talking about that's the Easter story. It's hard for some people to believe. So before we ever got to that, we wanted to talk about this idea of questions and and doubts. Uh, And to, to be very clear on your notes, again, it says this, our doubts and questions don't have to destroy our faith, but refusing to talk about them might. And we want to make sure you knew that. Number one, questions and doubts are normal for those who are part of our faith, actually, And they don't cause you problems unless you don't actually actually ask those questions or express those doubts. We want to encourage you to give voice to those questions and doubts. This is a safe place for you to ask whatever you want. And so if you have questions that you have been wrestling with next Sunday uh, during service, we're going to answer those. We're going to take some time. So uh, we've asked you if you would uh, on your Bible app, if you have your Bible app open right now at the bottom of the message notes, you'll see a link to where you push that and you can jot the question down and send it to us electronically on your handout. If you would, on the, under the prayer, it says prayer requests, just take that space right there, write your question down. And then just a little bit when the offering plate comes around, just drop that in there. You don't have to put your name on it. We're not going to ask you to stand up next week. We're not going to identify you in any way. We're just going to share the questions, and then we're going to uh, see if we can answer those. So uh, that's next Sunday morning. I hope you'll join us for that. And if you have a friend who has some questions, send those questions in and, uh, and, and bring them with you next week. Look, Paul Tillich said this. It's on your notes. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's just one element of it. 
Doubt is actually an element of your faith. Now, here's why this creeps in from time to time. Faith requires that we take one step beyond what we see and experience, right? That's what faith is. Faith is not, it's something you don't know for sure, right? So faith is taking one step beyond what you can see and experience. So on your notes, check this out. I want to make sure you got this. Sometimes obedience to God comes before understanding what he's talking about or why he's asking us to do something. Sometimes it doesn't make sense what he has said. It doesn't make sense to us. So we, we, but he's calling us to obey him regardless of whether it makes sense to you or not. We're going to find out in a story uh, from the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bible with you, a book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. So go all the way to the very beginning, chapter 12. If you have your Bible app, you'll notice it. And we'll also put them on the screen here from the life of a guy named Abraham. Uh, some of you may know him. You've heard his name. You've heard his story. This is one of the stories from his life. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, uh, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless everyone who blesses you, and, but whoever curses you, I will curse. And all of the peoples on the earth, right, will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, that's his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, all the people that they'd acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring... I will give all of this land that you see uh, in front of you. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out again and continued toward the Negev. Now we're going to stop right there. Obviously we're in the middle of something much larger going on. Uh, and the first thing you may have noticed was, I thought the guy's name was Abraham, not Abram. Well, Abraham at the very beginning of his stories, his name was Abram, which means by the way, exalted father. That's what his name literally means. So just from his name, you kind of get the feeling that Abram was not just this common ordinary, everyday kind of guy. He was, his life was already a success. But this, by the way, so even though his life was already a success, this is a story about faith, right? Uh, it's important for him, significant for him to know that, significant for us to remember that uh, today. So verse 3 uh, reminds us of a veiled prophecy that is made uh, about Abram, uh, who, by the way, uh, I want to make sure you know this too, uh, we find out in verse 4 that he's 75 years old. So he's not 20, 25, 30. He's 75 years old when all of this happens. And I'm pretty sure he didn't have a desire to seek fame and fortune at this point in his life. His life was already a success. But it's verse 4 that tells us the significance of what's about to happen or what's going to happen because of this decision. In verse, uh, excuse me, not verse 4, in verse 3, there's this veiled prophecy where he says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, we know on this side of the New Testament what this means. Uh, who, who blessed all the peoples on the face of the earth? What's his name? 
His name's Jesus, right? So we know that this side of, of the, the New Testament, Abraham couldn't possibly ha- have known that at that point. But it's interesting, the whole Jewish nation, uh, uh, the, the, the religion would depend on Abram's response to what God was calling him to do in verse 1. But we need to not hang all of that on his shoulders at the moment. There's no way he could have understood the historical, the spiritual implications of what God was saying to him. The only thing he knew for sure Sometimes the only thing we know for sure, we don't know what all the dominoes are that are going to fall. All we know for sure is that God is calling him to move, to pick up everything, right? Move it all. His job, family, home, security, and relocate. So let me give you the significance of what God is asking Abram and Sarah to do. Verse 1, God asks him to give up his country. So this trip to Haiti, being back there reminded me, this is not the first time I've been there. I was there 35 years ago when I was a senior in college. And uh, on our way out of the country, we hit some snags. It called into doubt whether we were going to be leaving Haiti and coming back to America or not. I was 22 years old at the time, scared us to death. When we finally got onto the plane, and it was announced as we flew into uh, American airspace, they came across the speaker and said, this is the pilot. We have now entered into American airspace. The whole plane erupted. I mean, it was cheering and clapping. I'd never seen anything like that. And when we landed, I was the guy, I literally, I got out of the plane, went down the steps. I bent down on the ground and I kissed the ground, uh, which is pretty gross to think about. Lots of germs down there. But, um, you know, when, when you're young, you can leave your country and, and not think about it too much. But when you get older, 75 years old, it's like tearing away part of your heart, right? Uh, he was called to give up his relatives. Now, especially in a nomadic culture, you count on your relatives. They're all traveling with you. You count on them for survival. And so that was really important. He was also called to give up his closest family, which, by the way, signifies those things that are closest to our hearts. Um, I still remember when my mom and dad moved from the house that I grew up in. That, by the way, was the house where we made snowmen in the front yard. I can still see this. I can st- still see that happening. That was the house where we had a tree in the front yard. My twin brother and I would climb to the top of the tree where people couldn't see us, and then we would talk to them as they walked by, because <laughs> because we believed they thought the tree was talking, <laughs> because we weren't very smart. <laughs> That's the tree I fell out of onto my head. Uh, <laughs> And when I go back to Columbus, I still drive by that house. It's a part of my childhood. And that's a problem. These are all problems we're talking about that Abraham faced in making this decision. But look at what God has promised him. For the loss of a country, God has promised that he would make Abraham himself into a great nation. And for the loss of the place of his birth, God promised him great prosperity. And for the loss of his family distinction, God promised to make his name great. I don't know if you can imagine, even even with those promises, Abraham has all these things. And God is saying, I will do even more. The apprehension he had to feel in that. I mean, can you imagine, guys, saying to your wife, honey, we're moving. And when she says to you, really, where are we going? You go, I don't know. Uh, God will show us. He'll tell us when to stop. Because Sandy would say, write me when you get there. Um, (laughs) And we don't know how this saga played out exactly. But we do know Abraham's response. He left. And the question becomes, how could he possibly make that decision? And do you really think he didn't have any questions 
about this decision that he was being asked to make. So I want to, want to check this. I want you to check this out. It's on your notes because you need to understand this. Problems can cause us to doubt. If you ever wonder why you have questions about your faith, look around and see if something's going on at that moment. Is there a problem happening in your life? See, Abraham was keenly aware of them. When the New Testament looks back on Abraham's life in the book of Romans, we read this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of, of many, many nations. Against all hope. I want to make sure you catch that because Abraham was not blind to what he was getting into. This man of God was 75 years old and didn't have any children. And God had promised he's going to be a great nation. He's 75 and childless. And look at verse six, Canaan, the land that God said, this land that I'm showing you now, one day you will own it all. People lived there. <laughs> But there were already people who had, had, were living there. Have you ever gotten onto an airplane and someone is sitting in your seat? I mean, you know it's your seat because it's on your ticket. And you're looking at your ticket and you're looking at that and you're doing this and you're going. And, and, and everyone's looking at each other. It's kind of awkward when that happens. You ever gone to check into a hotel room and someone's already in your room? My sister-in-law went to a resort. When she opened the door, some guy was sleeping in her bed. Uh, it's a little awkward. You know, it's a problem. But sometimes obedience comes before understanding. And I wonder if ringing in Abram's ears must have been the promises of God. You're going to be a father, Abraham, not just of a child. You will be the father of a whole nation. And this land that I'm taking you through, you're just kind of wandering through it now. One day, it's going to belong to all of your descendants. What kind of problems do you think it is that make it hard for you to obey God today? Deadlines that seem to be way too close. An overdrawn bank account missed opportunities, past failures. There are thousands of good reasons why God's plans will not work for you. And often those are way easier to believe than what God is saying. But he's got these promises. And I wish I had put this on your notes. I hope you'll write this down. Faith is not denying that problems exist. It's not burying your head in the sand. It's not pretending. It's not denying that problems exist. It's just about putting your trust in God's promises above everything else, even above the promises or the problems you're facing. You see, what's really interesting about Abraham is that God repeats the same promise that he makes to him when he's 75 years old. It's chapter 12. He repeats it six times. This promise to Abraham, he says it six times. And those of you who know this story, if you've ever read Abraham's story, you know that multiple times he gets sidetracked. He has difficulty, even though he, this promise has been made and God keeps saying it to him, he has a hard time believing it. So he makes these bad decisions along the way. And God has to keep reminding him. And you will too, because God has made promises to us. All the way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7, God says, the Lord is the faithful God, keeping his commandment of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. It's a promise. It's a promise. In Philippians chapter 1, all the way at the other end of the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, we're promised, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. The Bible is full of these kinds of promises. In Mark 16, 16, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. This past hour, someone made that decision. They trusted Jesus. They made a commitment. They wanted him to not only forgive their sins, wanted him to be their boss. And so they gave their life. They made that commitment to Jesus in the waters of baptism. Paul would remind us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that there is no temptation that you are facing right now that is unique to you. 
Other people, right, it's common to mankind, other people have faced this temptation before you. And not only that, God is not going to leave you hanging. He's going to be right there with you, and he will provide a way out of this temptation. Whatever it is that's in front of you right now, he will provide you an escape hatch if you will take it. If you will take the escape, God is right there with you. He provides that for you. You'll be able to walk away from it clean. It's a promise. Jesus promised in John chapter 11, talking to a very good friend of his. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will live forever. It's a promise. So your next step is this should be on your notes already. But as you read the Bible, write down any promise that God has made. Because sometimes we read past them and we miss them. But write, write down, acknowledge, highlight, mark, draw a circle around in your Bible, whatever it is. Highlight in some way the promises that God is making and any questions or doubts that you have. This seems kind of hard to believe. I'm not sure about this. Hey, what does this mean exactly? Write those things down. And if you, listen, if you want to send the questions in uh, for next Sunday so that we can talk about those, all right? Faith is trusting that God will keep his promises even when those promises don't make sense or may even seem impossible. On your notes is this. Faith is a day-by-day process in which God will show us what to do moment by moment. So one more thing that makes doubting very easy. Doubting, doubt is encouraged by discomfort. So when you're in a life situation and the pressure's on, you start to feel squeezed, it starts to get hot in the room, your discomfort can allow doubt to come more easily. So if you're already wondering, if you've already begun to think, I don't know about this, and then it gets uncomfortable, it just shoots you right to that side. Sometimes following God is an uncomfortable proposition. So when was the last time you sensed God speaking to you, saying something to you, calling you to something and it made you uncomfortable because God says the heavens declare his glory but sometimes don't you think it's easier to believe the scientists who insist that his theory of origin uh, is more intellectual than creationism God says that sex outside of marriage is wrong but sometimes don't you think people find it easier to believe it's okay to listen to our passions as long as we're both consenting adults. I mean, we're both saying yes, and you know, we love each other, and one day we might get married, so it's gonna be okay, right? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, that what you wear or what you eat, because God will take care of you, and yet you know what your bank account says, and it's hard to believe God when your bank balance is pushing all the right buttons. The cross We're going to celebrate Easter in three weeks. It's the story that seems to draw people. It's like a magnet for people. And the cross screams out to people, God loves you. But our accusations from a guilty past can paralyze us. How easy is it to think, I don't even love myself sometimes. How could God possibly love anyone like me? It's easier to listen to those voices, to believe those lives and to get get comfortable ignoring what God says in his word. Sometimes obedience comes before understanding, and it can be uncomfortable, (laughs) and that can push us toward doubt. Ken Davis is a Christian comedian, and he uh, tells a story when he was in college that uh, they were to prepare a lesson to teach uh, in their speech class. They were going to be graded on creativity and also on their ability to drive home the point they were trying to make uh, in the most memorable way. His talk uh, was titled The Law of the Pendulum. 
And so for 20 minutes, he taught the physical principle that governs a swing pendulum. You all have seen a pendulum before, right? Swings back and forth. The law of the pendulum is this. A pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. So however high that is, it's never going to go higher when it comes back, all right? Because of friction and gravity, when the pendulum returns, it will fall short of the original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until it's finally, it comes to rest. That point of rest is called the state of equilibrium, where all the forces acting on the pendulum are equal. And then to prove it, he attached a three-foot string to a child's uh, top, toy top, and took a push pin, put it into the blackboard, and uh, he pulled it up. He made a mark with the chalk uh, where he started. He let it go. It swung over. It came back uh, less than that, and then less and less and less, and then within three minutes, it had stopped uh, altogether. And so he asked the people in the room if they believed the law of the pendulum was true. And everyone in the room raised their hand, including the teacher uh, who stepped forward because he thought Davis was done. Davis said he was just beginning because hanging from the ceiling, uh, the steel ceiling beams in the middle of the room was a, was a large, crude, but functioning pendulum made of 250 pounds of weights that he had secured with four strands of 500-pound test parachute cord. And so he invited the instructor of the class to climb up on a table and to sit in a chair with his head, uh, the back of his head, up against a cement wall. And then he asked him again uh, uh, if he, you know, if the class understood, everybody understood the law of the pendulum. They all agreed on that. And then he brought the 250 pounds of weight uh, up close to the professor's nose. And holding the pendulum just a fraction of an inch away from his face, uh, he, he explained it again. And then uh, the, the class, you know, they all said, if, if the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release this mass of metal, it will swing across the room and it will, it will return just short of, the, of your nose. It will be in no danger. And then he looked at his professor and he said, do you believe the law of the pendulum? And there was a long pause. And he started getting sweat on his upper lip. And then he nodded and kind of said yes. And Davis released the pendulum. He said it just made this huge arc to the other side, this swooshing noise. You ever heard of swooshing noises? It went across the room. And he said as it started to come back, he's never seen anyone move so fast in their entire life. <laughs> and as he stepped around the pendulum, Davis asked the class, does the professor believe in the law of the pendulum? And the class said, No. Your next step on your notes, find a pen. No, I'm just kidding. It's this. <laughs> Trust God with something uncomfortable this week. I have this thought that perhaps this week you're going to be called out of your comfort zone, that following Jesus is somehow going to mean stepping out of your comfort zone. And this becomes an intentional move of faith because sometimes obedience comes before understanding. And it's our obedience, quite frankly, that helps us understand what God is calling us to. And we can't get there without it. So look back at the promise that God made to Abram. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you, you are going to be, a I'm going to make your name great. You will be a blessing. Look at verse 3. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Everyone. Not just on earth at that point, by the way. This is 2018. We're on the other side of the New Testament. That promise was kept the day Jesus was crucified. 
Everybody on earth <laughs> moving forward, right? At the cross when Jesus died for everyone. It's our celebration of Easter. It's three weeks away, just three Sundays off. And people are drawn to that because it's a promise that God has made that we hope is true. We have faith that it's true. And it's a promise that when God made it to Abraham, he couldn't possibly have understood and required trusting God with an uncomfortable decision. And we get to celebrate it today as we do every Sunday by the taking of communion. When we hold the cup that reminds us of Jesus' blood and we hold the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body broken on the cross for us, we're drawn back to that promise, back to when Jesus fulfilled that, and its implications for us today. It's a time for those of us who are followers of Jesus to say one more time, I'm in. I am all in, in this walk. When it's uncomfortable, when I have doubts, I will follow you. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for today and just the chance to be reminded from Abraham's life when he could not possibly have foreseen all that you would do following his life and the implications it has had for us today. God, even in our own lives, we make decisions today that have implications, not just for us today, but for us and others for generations to follow. Those of us who have followed your son, who today will make that recommitment to him through our time of communion. God, that that, that decision in our life, the decision that Ryan made today to give her life to you, the implications that has for future generations. God, thank you that we come to moments like this where we can decide ahead of time that we're going to trust you even if we don't understand. If you have said it, we will trust you and we will follow. God, may these emblems, may they pull us back to the commitment we made to you in our baptism. May they remind us that today it is still true. We love you. Thank you for loving us through your son. And we pray this in his holy, precious, and powerful name. Amen.